And this morning, if you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And we're going to look in chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. And I think this passage is especially important for us to consider on this special occasion. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me there. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That's the passage that we're looking at this morning. It's the passage I want to ask for your attention. And really, I have two reasons for doing so. You know, this is our second anniversary as a, you know, kind of a self-governing church, as an official church. And we really are coming to the book of Acts here in the very first chapter. Because the book of Acts tells us how the Christian church began. And it's so, you know, relevant to our occasion this morning because we're asking the question, why do we even have another church at all? There are many people who ask this question today. Why are the churches even going on? Why should we even come together every Sunday morning and hold church coming together as a group of people? And the Bible gives us many wonderful foundational reasons, but the book of Acts gives us a very important reason for why the church must exist and must continue to do so until a final event occurs. And so the book of Acts here gives us as a church, as believers, a very important reason that we must never forget, that we must live consistently with in our lives. And I think that's why it's so relevant for us on this occasion. But there's a second reason. And this reason, I would appeal, is important for every single one of you, especially those of you who have come to visit at the invitation of family or friends, or you, know, you just heard about the event and you're not yet a Christian. This is relevant for you. And I say that with total confidence because what we read in this passage, there's something that's going to happen that will come into your life that you must deal with. It is real for you. And therefore, it's something that you think you need to think carefully about. You need to pay total attention to. You think about this whole COVID-19 business. Why are we as a country so concerned with it where there's been other pandemics and other things that we haven't really blinked twice at? Well, the simple answer is because COVID-19 has entered our country and it's something that could affect you. 
or therefore you've got to pay a lot of attention to the news and to all the kind of lockdown procedures. So we as a church think about it seriously out of love to, for the people we didn't gather together for a number of weeks. It's because it's relevant to us. It's something that we have to deal with. Therefore, we pay close attention to it, don't we? I'm sure every one of you knows that. You pay attention to what's going to be relevant to you. And the Bible, what is spoken here in Acts chapter 1, there's something that will happen that every single one of you will come to deal with, will come face to face with. What is it, we ask? Well, turn your attention there to verse 11. These two men in white robes, these angels who speak to the very first Christian people, the disciples of Jesus, the apostles. And he says to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Because the same Jesus that you saw lifted up into heaven, he's going to come back into this earth in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. What am I talking about in verse 11 is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches us right from the beginning of the Christian church that one day, one day soon, the Lord Jesus Christ will return into this world. Well, let's consider this more deeply. Let's consider what the Bible has to teach us here. And, and this verse will tell us everything we need to know. Look there in verse 11. It says, this Jesus, he is going to return. And we just ask a simple question. Uh, what do they mean by this Jesus? You know, in our day, there are many Jesuses that people like to talk about. Oh, there's a Jesus that I like to think was a revolutionary or a great moral teacher. If you go out and just Google a book about Jesus, you'll find a myriad of different books, all with their own different theories and different ideas of, surely this is what he must have been like. This is really why he came. And what's so interesting is if you just simply think about this verse here, who are the angels speaking to when they refer to this Jesus? It's to the men of Galilee. As to the men who were with him, what would they have thought of when they heard the phrase, this Jesus? And if you asked them, if you were able to interrogate them and interview them, they would simply say, what a silly question. It's the Jesus that we just saw taken into heaven. It's the one that we have given up our lives to follow for three years. It's the one that we have witnessed with our very eyes doing miraculous things. It's the one that we have heard with our own ears teach the kingdom of God. Teach the truths that God has sent him to teach. It's the Jesus that we have come into contact with. Very clearly, this Jesus is the one whom the apostles themselves knew firsthand. I mean, surely that's so logical. I don't know how you would come in a different conclusion when you read this verse. The Jesus that is spoken of is the Jesus of the Bible. Now, why do I say the Bible? What's the connection between the Bible and the very first apostles who saw him? Well, it's simply because the apostles wrote the Bible in the New Testament. The Gospels are filled with first-hand accounts, eyewitness accounts of Jesus Christ, what he did and what he said, and ultimately what he allowed to happen to him. It's the apostles who all throughout Acts and in their letters will say with total conviction, I am testifying to you as a first-hand witness about this Jesus that I'm speaking about. I saw him go onto the cross. I heard him when he said, it is finished. 
And I was there when against all expectations, I went to the tomb, Peter says, and the tomb was empty. And he appeared to us, even though we were so slow to believe, he appeared to us after his resurrection. And he says to Thomas, my friend there in the discipleship group, touch my hands and feel the mark of the nails. Put your hand in my side. I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. And I have now written it down for you. This is the incredible truth about the Bible that we hold in our hands. Why do we pay so much attention to this book? Because it is the first-hand account of the very people who saw Jesus Christ. And who, if you see there in verse 2, through the Holy Spirit, He has given His commands to the apostles for the church. These apostles are known as apostles because they had the special uh, authority given to them by Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit who empowered them to speak, really, the commands of Jesus Christ. And so when you read the book, you know, all these letters, all these writings of the apostles about what the Lord Jesus commanded us, what right do they have to speak to us authoritatively? It's because Jesus has given them that special authority. No one else has it. Only the apostles he entrusted with that special task. And that's why they made special efforts to preserve these writings. Do you know that? Peter in his letter says, I have taken every effort to write down these things so that you can always recall them when I'm gone. The apostles weren't foolish men. They knew they had to keep their writings preserved. And that's what we have in our hands today. And so what are we talking about? It's this person who's going to come back. It's this Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. The one who is spoken of as the Son of God himself in the flesh. Who came to do what? What is his life purpose? Luke 19, 11, To seek and to save the lost. To give his life as a ransom for the many who is going to be rescued into the kingdom of God. The one whom all throughout the book of Acts, the apostles, you just go through and read it in your own time. Time and time again, what are they preaching? They are preaching the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Christ. Repent and believe in the good news of Christ and you will be made right with God that very instant. They are preaching Christ and offering him to human beings. So that through knowing Jesus by faith, you would be right with God. You would receive the gift of eternal life. That is the message of the Christian church right from the beginning. And oh, we pray as a church that God would always keep that as our only primary central message as a church. That's this Jesus we're talking about. But what's, what's going to happen with him? We read there in verse 11 that this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the foundational truth that Jesus himself taught many, many times to his disciples. That the Son of Man will come again on the clouds with power and with glory. He will return to this world. After his resurrection from the dead, after he has conquered death and defeated the great enemy, he has now ascended into the right hand of God, ruling and reigning. And one day from that place of authority, he will come back into this world. It's very, very significant that the angels say, in the same way that you saw him go, is the way that he's going to return. Now, why is that so significant for us to understand? Are they simply saying that this location in the Mount of Olives near Jerusalem, 
You've got to be here when he comes back. I think the angels are saying something far more profound than that. What they're saying to these people, what they're saying to us through their recounting, through their eyewitness testimony is that the same state and condition that Jesus was in after his resurrection as he ascended into heaven, that very same way he is going to return. What the Bible is teaching us here is that the first time that Jesus entered this world, wonder of wonders, God himself become a baby. And yet he came, and Philippians 2 tells us, in the form of a servant. And not merely a servant who was obedient to a master, but he was a servant who was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. The most agonizing and humiliating death that one can suffer. And of course, not only so, but he suffered under the wrath of God against sin. He came to die in his first coming. But the angels are saying here that when Jesus returns again, that's not how he will return. He's not going to come to die as a servant, no. He will return as the king that he is now. He will return in the glory that he had when he was resurrected from the dead. You know, when he's resurrected from the dead, he never dies again. Death cannot touch him. And when you read in the New Testament what it's going to be like, it is spoken of as the most glorious of things where no human being will be able to miss his return. The legions of angels in flaming fire will be before him and behind him. He will come with power like a flash of lightning. Nobody can miss it. That's the way that he will return. That's why it's so significant that we read in the same way is the way that he's going to return. What the Bible is saying is simply that Jesus, when he returns, will return as king. And when he returns, there will occur on that day what the Bible calls a final accounting, a great judgment, where God, through the Lord Jesus Christ as the judge, will hold every human being accountable for how they have lived their lives. Now, my dear friends, I said the first reason for why this passage is important for us this morning is that it's so relevant for us as a church. Why is it relevant? Because what the Bible says here is a definite truth, a fact that Jesus will return. As historically reliable as his first coming, which even non-Christian, extra-biblical sources could do nothing but simply admit that yes, there was a man, Jesus, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate. God has done nothing in a corner. He has done everything publicly. All of it to help us to understand that this declaration of Jesus is just as true as his first coming. He will return. And therefore the church needs to reckon with that fact in how we think about our lives as Christians. How we think about what we need to do as a church. Look at what the angels say to the men of Galilee. The very apostles whom Jesus has entrusted with the gospel. It says to them, men of Galilee... Why are you standing around looking into heaven? Just standing there gazing with your mouth wide open. You see the mild rebuke, don't you? You see what the angels are saying there, reminding them you're just men. He's saying, if Jesus in going up has told you time and time again that he will come back, do you really have time to stand just looking into heaven? Do you have time to simply stand there and admire the view? To be curious theologically about all the different way that, oh, Jesus has gone up in this way. Surely this is the way he'll come back. 
Do you have time to stand there knowing that one day he will return? The answer, of course, is you don't have the time to do so. God in Jesus Christ has given you a great mission. Look there in verse 8. You will receive power from on high and you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. That's the great mission that every single believer has received from the Lord Jesus Christ who has saved them. Do we then have, as believers, have the time to simply stand gazing into heaven? We do not. Because Jesus has left us a task and he expects us to be faithful to him, doesn't he? He expects us to take it all with total urgency, knowing that his return, what did he say? He will come back like a thief in the night. You will not know when he is to return. He could come back this very moment. What a glorious thought. He'll come back tomorrow. Or he could wait another thousand years. That is entirely up to him because he is the master. His father has fixed the times and the seasons. We see that there in verse seven. And you remember Jesus telling parables to his, to his disciples and to the crowds. He says, think of a, a house, a great house, where the master leaves on a journey and he gives to every servant, you have a job here, you've got a job there, I'm giving you all jobs and I'm leaving to a far city and I'll come back one day, you don't know when, but I'll come back. And he says, now when the master comes back and some servants have been lazy and unfaithful, squandering, what the master has left to their care, to steward, getting drunk and eating all the food. What's the master going to do with those wicked servants? There's only one answer. The master's going to punish them severely, cast them out of his house and have nothing to do with him. But those servants who are faithful, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Dine with me. Enjoy the blessed joy of my approval and my praise. Jesus tells that as a story for his church, doesn't he? He tells it as a story for his people. I have left you a task. Please do not think that you have the time to simply stand gazing into heaven. But get on with the mission that I've left you. Be faithful to me. And of course, what else did he tell the disciples about his imminent return? It's not merely this task that's you know, going to hang over them like a burden. He says in John chapter 14, I'm going to prepare a house for you. I'm going to prepare a room for you in my father's house. He says that to his disciples when they were so burdened with fears and anxieties that Jesus is going to leave them very soon. How could we ever get on without you, Lord, in your physical presence? Jesus reassures you, don't worry. You'll have the Holy Spirit and I go to prepare a room for you. And Jesus just simply says, if somebody's gone to prepare a room for you, of course they're gonna come back to bring you to that room. Would the Father prepare a room for you and then somehow fail to get you to that room? God's never gonna fail. And Jesus, when he says, when I go to my Father's house to prepare a place for you, with your name on the door, am I gonna fail to bring you to that room? Of course not. And what a great hope this reality is to every believer. It is not merely that we have this responsibility to be faithful. Yes, that's true. But we have this glorious hope and confidence that Jesus knows everyone who believes in him by name. And he is preparing there an eternal paradise and bliss in the house of his Father God, a room for you, dear believer. And he is going to return 
to take you there. What a glorious hope for the church. What a glorious motivation of courage for us as we think about this great task to be a witness to the end of the earth. That is no easy thing. God has told us very clearly that if you want to be obedient to Him, some of you may very well face persecution and even death. But you have this glorious confidence that it is through your faithfulness to Jesus Christ you will be taken to be with Him forevermore. That is why Paul, in the book of Philippians chapter 1, he says, death is nothing to me, because to die is to gain. I'm going to be with my Lord. Dear church, do you feel that in your hearts? Do you have this glorious hope? Do you feel this wonderful, confident assurance that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and that He will not lose you? That He is not going to lose any of His sheep? that He will come back and He will take you to be with Him. That's why this fact that He will return is so absolutely foundational to us as a church. We've been here for two years as a real church, you know, as a self-governing church. Why should we continue? Because one day the Lord Jesus Christ will return and He will hold us accountable. Have you been faithful to my mission? That's why we seek here in the West Auckland to be a witness to the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, because He's going to return one day. And we do it with total joy and assurance and courage, because we know that we're going to be with Him when He returns. What a glorious hope for Christians. But you know, I also said at the start that there's a second thing that concerns every single one of us, not only the church, but all of you who are not yet Christians, who have not yet come to know God through Christ, this concerns you. Because when Jesus returns, He doesn't only take in His church. He is going to bring every human being who lives now, who has lived in the past, and who will live in the future to account before Him. There will be a great judgment. And in Romans 2, Paul says it so clearly that God will bring out the secrets of men and judge them according to the Lord Jesus Christ. What he is saying is that on that great and final day, every human being will be held accountable to the God who created them. What have you done with the life that I've given to you? Have you done good or evil? And because you have done one or the other, and I am a fair God, I will give to you reward for the good and punishment for the evil. Now, my dear friends, search your conscience. Will the secrets of your heart excuse you before God? Or will they even accuse you? Your own conscience speaking out against you before God. This man has not lived up to the standards that you have set. This woman has not even lived up to her own standards of goodness and moral and ethical behavior. How will you stand before God on that great day of accounting? That is the question that this poses to you. Because know this, even dying before His coming will not let you escape this great accounting, this great judgment. Because the Bible testifies that the dead will be raised to face Him in judgment. This fact of His return is universal in that every human being 
will face him when he comes back in glory. They will face him as the king of the universe, as the one who has given them every single breath they have ever breathed. And he will simply ask them, have you done right with the things I have given you? And of course, Romans 1 reveals to us, every human being falls pitifully short. Because even on the most basic principle of moral goodness, that is that we should be thankful to the one whom we receive blessing from, we fail. We do not give thanks to God, nor honor him as God, because we have rejected him and turned away from him. Is it evil for you to receive something and to not even say thank you? Well, how much greater for you to receive life and breath and the sun and the beautiful things of this world and to not even think once to give God any thanks, to honor him as the one who has given you life. My dear friends, what I'm seeking to convince you is that you will not stand before God on that great day. Therefore, Make right with him now by trusting in this terms of peace that God himself has given to you. Why did Jesus come into this world to seek and to save the lost, to take you who are not right with God naturally to be right with God through his death and resurrection in his righteousness? Come and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because on that great day, when Jesus returns and you look at him face to face, there is no other way to be right with him than to say, I have let go of any other reliance and I trust only in the Lord Jesus Christ. In this message of salvation that you, God, yourself have given to humanity. There is no other way to be right with God. The Bible tells us that so clearly. So think deeply, every single one of you who have yet to receive Jesus Christ. How will you face God on that great and final day? Will you be able to stand before him on your own goodness? Oh, I pray that God would show you, you need a savior. You need a perfect savior. And oh, that he would show you from his own word. Praise God. He has provided a perfect Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray now. Lord, we thank you so much for your holy word. We thank you so much that in your great mercy and love, you have sent the Lord Jesus Christ. You have given through him salvation that is perfect and full. That through trusting in him, through holding on to him in faith, we come to be right with you perfectly. What a wonderful, wonderful salvation. Help us, Lord, not to reject it, not to turn it away, not even to put it off. But Lord, press these things into our heart. Help us to know with total certainty that you will one day return in Jesus and we will face you and account for how we have lived our life. And Lord, from that truth, help us to be driven to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to be driven to crying out to you on our knees, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, in Jesus' name. Help us, Lord, every single one of us, to be there this morning. What we're asking, Lord, is we're asking you to save us and to help us as a church to always hold this message of Jesus Christ as our central and primary message. 
Keep us faithful, Lord. And would you be pleased to use us as a church, to use all of your people, churches everywhere in the world, to bring those who are lost, those who are separated from you, to know you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.